This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Parshitzava 5782. Parachofches Pasuk Mem Beis. We're going to talk about the You should make for them, this is for the Kohanim, these linen breeches. Which, I will tell you, is my second favorite art scroll word. The first art scroll word is, without a question, juxtaposition. That's my favorite one. But breeches is up there. That is a great word. It's to cover the nakedness of the body. It should be from the loins down to the knees. That's where it should be. The yerech is referring to the thigh. That's where it should be right over here. Now, Rashi tells us that the Michnasayim was one of the eight begadim that the Kohen Gadol wore. It was also one of the four that the Kohen Hedyot wore for their avoda in the Beis HaMikdash. If you weren't wearing the Michnasayim, you would be Chayiv Misa. This is not just something that we add on for fun. This is something that if they were missing it, you could not serve. There was no difference between the Kohen Gadol and the Kohen Hedyot wore. Yeah, but the Michnasayim are a little bit different from the other ones, right? Because the other ones are all mentioned together on one Pasuk. This is separate from them, so therefore it's a little bit different. To be clear, in Pusik Mem, it mentions the six begotten. Mem Aleph, it says Vilbashto, some that you put them on. And then this Pusik, it mentions the Mechnasayim. The Tzitz isn't mentioned, but the reason why the Tzitz isn't mentioned is because it's a Tachshit as opposed to a Malbush, which is a bit of a Machlokas, but it's a little bit different. As we all know, is that golden head plate right there, the one on top of the forehead, that was considered a little bit different. Now, the Ibn Ezra says that the Mechnasayim were a little bit shorter, so they wouldn't trip while wearing them. That's interesting, right? The Osnayim Latorah says, what about the Ksonis? The Ksonis was that big white shirt, right? The Ksonis Tashbates that had a nice pattern on it that went all the way down to the, to the legs. It went all the way down to the feet. Why would, the, if you're worried about tripping, why wouldn't you do the exact same thing by the Mechnasayim as well? So he suggests, an interesting suggestion, that the Mechnasayim would, were shorter so it wouldn't be a chatzitza, a separation between the ksonis and the skin any more than they needed to be. They needed to have something covering the bus or erva, but in order to make sure that they would have something that's going to be from, you know, from, I guess, the ksonis touching their legs, they made it shorter than it normally would, maybe. But according to that, he asks... Why wasn't there a limit to how high they were above the waist? There seems to be, like, any amount it could be above the waist, and there wasn't a problem whatsoever. Revarie Kaplan says that these closed pants, reaching from the waist to the knees, that's what it referred to, referring to these closed pants. The Rambam holds in Hilchus Kleya Mikdosh, Parachas Alocha Yudches, that it had laces around the knees, these laces, which could be tied or strapped on. The word he uses, the word the Rambam uses, Shintzim, which seems to be like those little hooks to sort of like strap them on and make them fit around the knees themselves. In Ferris Yisrael, in his Clay Big Dakoidish, he argues that it was tied tied at the waist, and I think that makes a little bit more sense to us. We all, if we would have anything, we would tie it by the waist, right? Not necessarily by the knees, but it could be that it was both. Maybe it had laces on both. The Rambam held on the bottom, the Pharisees all held on the top. Rambam however says another thing. It didn't start by the waist. It started by the tibor, meaning that would be by the stomach area, up near the heart, meaning they started up here. Like an old man wearing a pair of pants, you know what I'm talking? Like, like an 85-year-old man wearing a pair of pants all the way up there and going all the way down to the knees itself. They didn't have, according to the Rambam, a besa nekev or a besa erva. They were mukfin kimin kis, based on the Gemara Nidi Yudkev on base, which seems to mean, in this machlokis between Rashi 
the Kesev Mishnah, and a couple other Rishonim that are mentioned over there, right? It seems that this is something in which it hung down. It would not have any other covers, because if it would, then it would cause the erva by the Kohen to be warmed up. And it could cause them to have your hurim, bad thoughts, etc. It seems to have been a little bit looser, and there was no other material there. So if a Kohen wanted to go to the bathroom while he had the Mechnasayim on, there was no... Do you remember those, like, the old, like, old thing from, like, the 1800s? They had those, like, pants that had, like, two buttons in the back with a little thing, and then you just released it, and you let go. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Right? Otherwise, it's, I, I don't know how to describe it in any other way. It wouldn't have that. You had to take it completely off to go to the bathroom. There was no what we would call a fly in the front. You would have to take off the entire thing completely because any other part of a begot that you put on there could warm up that area and cause them to have bad hurim, etc. The Mechassim did not have that whatsoever. In Zvachim, it says that they had to be brand new. That's what the Gemara says. Never used by anyone else. I, I would say like Baruch Hashem. <laughs> you kind of didn't want this to be used by anybody else. The linen strings used to make them had to be six ply. They had to be shizurim is what they were called. Some of these things were makif, some were not, based on the Gemara up there, but that's the way the Mechnesayim were made. Okay, so that's how the Mechnesayim were made. The Chizkuni says, the reason why the Mechnesayim was placed far away from the other begadim is because they were purely to cover the erva. The other ones were lekavod ulitifares. They were for honor and for splendor. But the Mechnesayim was different. The Mechnesayim was never seen. The Mechnesayim were put underneath the Ksonis. There is no one that ever saw the Mechnesayim. And although you'd say to yourself, well, who saw the Ksonis? Well, if the Me'il was on top, the Choshen and the Ephod were on top, you probably saw the Ksonis from the sleeves and maybe down in the bottom where the Me'il was open a little bit. Maybe that's when you would have seen it. There are some sheets. The Me'il was also like a total covering on top of the Ksonis. But maybe you saw the Ksonis underneath the top of the Me'il. Maybe you saw some of it. But the Mechnesayim were never seen. In order to be like Kavarulit Yifaris, for it to be an honorable begot, it has to be something that people see. The Chizkuni says, it's not seen, it's not considered like Kavarulit Yifaris. That's why it's separate, it's nowhere near it. The Abarbanel says the exact same thing. Rav Hirsch, Rosham Shrenfal Hirsch, says the Mechnesayim were worn not just because they were Kohanim. It was worn because they were ordinary human beings and out of common decency, they wanted to cover up that area of the body. Granted, the Ksonis was long and it covered up that area of the body. But if you'd open up your legs, obviously it was it looked like a skirt on the bottom of the Ksonis. If you open up your legs, in theory, you could be seen up without anything there. That's why they had the Mechnesayim, to make it that the erva was covered no matter what, and it was considered not Lekavah but just as something made out of common decency, even though it was still a begot, and even though you were Chai Misa for not wearing it, it was out of common decency. Where Victor Miller takes it a step further. And this is a really important point. It's something that I think people, it gets lost in the fray. In the Mishkan, there was the utmost form of Tznias. They had the utmost level of Tznias itself. In fact, the Ksonis should have been enough, but they had to cover everything different. Why? Because the holy floor they were walking on could not see the erva. And if they wore the Ksonis and they walked, the holy, the holy floor would see the erva straight up from the bottom. If you'll remember, by the Mizbeach, the ramp that was made was one long ramp. There were no stairs. Why were there no stairs? So the coin wouldn't have to step. And even taking a step, even though you have Mechnasayim and Exodusan, was considered inappropriate. That was like you're showing an erva when you didn't need to. And therefore, it shouldn't be that way. What are you going to ask? Were there steps up to the menorah? 
menorah very, very good. That's a question that's asked by the Rishonim there, and it's a good question. But this is the reason why it was a ramp leading up to the Mizbeach for this very reason, so that they would know it's going to be something different. You're supposed to act differently in the Mishkan. You have to act differently in the Mishkan. That's going to be something different. This is a lesson for all of Klal Yisrael, everybody in Klal Yisrael. You're a holy people. You're a Mamleches Kohanim and a Goy Kadosh. You're required to clothe yourself like a holy nation would. You can't just go around wearing whatever you want or not wearing whatever you want. You can't do that. You're a Klau Yisrael. And therefore, what does a king do? What does a queen do? We're Zoha to have somebody today that Mamish shows us what queens and kings felt about Sneas. Now, I know, and I'm not going to get into the whole girl thing at Sneas. I'm going to explain why in a second. But the Queen of England makes sure that she's covered that is an unbelievable level because she understands the, the power of a queen, of what it was back then, and truly of a king as well. Kings and queens are dressed. They're dressed completely. They're dressed down to the hands, down to the legs. They're completely and utterly dressed. There's no such thing of them having a low-cut shirt or short sleeves or pants, shorts that a guy would wear, a king and a queen would never do it. That's what we're learning. If we're the Mamleches Kohanim, a kingdom of Kohanim that does such a thing, says we're with Victor Miller, then it makes sense that the Mechnesayim would cover up that part. He says that's why, and we'll talk about this a little bit further, the Mechnesayim were Machaper, they atoned for Giliarias, for anybody who did something inappropriate. Because that's exactly what it stood for. If you understood the lesson of the Mechnesayim well, if you understood it correctly, you would never put yourself into a position where Arias would be a factor. It just wouldn't happen. In fact, the Torah doesn't even have words to describe those parts of the body that are used for procreation. That shows you the concept of Tznias that we have over here. And even studying these subjects seems to be a kapara to help us understand how a person is supposed to be dressed and how not. But again, I want to be clear about this. We think of Tznias as sort of something that applies to women mostly and not men. After all, men being tsenua, well, what does that mean? We think and we hear of all these things where we're like, well, women should be doing this and women should be doing that. And the truth is, I, it's not correct. Tznias applies to men as much as it does to women. Perhaps there are differences, obviously, in what we wear that might be different between a man and a woman, just simply because that's who we are. But the concept of Tznias is a mindset. It has nothing to do with clothing. And there's a proof straight out from the Gemara. The Gemara tells us that through the Tzchar, the Tznias of Rachel Imenu, when Rachel Imenu was so Tznua, she was Zohar to have a child named Shaul HaMelech. And the Tznias of Shaul HaMelech allowed him to have a child, eventually, you know, all the way through descendant, named Esther HaMalka. Now let's think for a second. Tznias. Rachel Imenu? What Sneas was there by Rachel Imenu? What did she do that was so Tsenua? Are we talking about her clothing? We're talking about how Rachel Imenu, she always wore her skirt down to her below her knees. That's what we're talking about? She always wore a shirt that was below her elbows. It, it has nothing to do with it. What was Rachel Imenu's Sneas? That she was willing to give up the secrets, the, the signs that were given to her by Yaakov Avinu and explain to Leah what to do in order to fake it and make sure that she was seen as Rachel instead. That's the Tznias of Rachel Imenu. The Tznias of Sholomelech, that when he had to go to the bathroom in Shmuel Aleph, if you'll remember, he saw the cave with the spider web on the outside of the cave, so he thought nobody was inside there, not knowing that the spider came afterward, and David Melech was in there with Avishai bin Tzuya and all the other people, and he went inside to go to the bathroom. And the Gemara says that Sholomelech went in a cave within a cave. A cave within a cave. 
and then he covered himself with a covering while going to the bathroom in a cave within a cave in pitch blackness. He still covered himself up when going to the bathroom. That's what Shola Melech did when going to the bathroom. And this is at a time where, according to the Ralbag and the Radak, he was already somewhat crazy. Now, again, there are other ways of understanding what happened to Shola Melech toward the end of his life. But according to the Ralbag and the Radak, they take it as push shot that he was crazy. And yet he still would not take himself out from over there. And I know there's another Pusik a little bit earlier with Shola Melech unclothed to be with the Nevi'im. That's not what it means. Everybody says he unclothed meaning he unclothed, he took off his kingly robes and put on the clothes of the Nevi'im. And that's what it refers to. Even though it says Arum, that's not what it meant. It meant he was Arum from all his bad thoughts, etc. That's an obvious thing. The Rabag says a little bit differently because, again, you're dealing with somebody who didn't have his head. But this was the Tznias of Shola Melech that he was able to do something unbelievably special. And that's his Tznias. Again, it's a mindset. If I'm going to go to the bathroom, even if I know no one's going to see me, I'm going to cover myself up completely. I'm going to cover myself up completely. And therefore, he was Zohar of a descendant, Queen Esther. What was Queen Esther's Tznias? What sneers was there? She, because even in a place where she was married to a non-Jewish king, she wouldn't reveal who she was. She wouldn't say anything to anybody else. She acted the way a woman would do inside the house of a guggle, like her old husband Mordechai. She acted the same way by Achashverosh. That's the sneers. Does everybody understand what I mean by this? Because I want to be clear. I'm not talking about sneers in clothing. I'm talking about sneers in the way that a person is. And therefore, it's not relegated to just one part of Klal Yisrael, not the other. It's something that applies to every single person in Klal Yisrael in a way that works for them. That's why I want to preempt this story. There's a story by Rabbi, Rabbi uh, Pesach Kron, and therefore you'll see all the details are very, very detailed. Because Rabbi Kron is very good at getting every single detail down. Even though it's dealing with a part of Tznias of a woman and clothing, I want to be clear, that's not the point of what I want to get out from over here. I'm trying to get out the concept of Tznias as opposed to the specifics. In October in 1938, the Nazis in pulled the Jews off the streets of Germany and they would do terrible things. Either they would humiliate them, they would cart them off to, you know, to the camps, the working camps, which we know now, the slave labor camps, what they did over there. They had no idea. Reb David Svi Kohn and his wife, Sarah Zissel, lived with their four children on a street called Linienstrasse in the Jewish area of Berlin. They lived on the second floor of an apartment building, and they had a good relationship with their German neighbors, including the Reinman family who lived the above floor. They lived on the second floor. The Reinman family was on the third floor. They had a good relationship with them. On Thursday morning, November 10th, 1938, Mrs. Reinman came downstairs and told the family, told both David Svikon and Sarah Zissel, that there was going to be a pogrom that day. She wasn't positive, but she was pretty sure there was going to be a pogrom that day and that they should fear for their lives that there was going to be a mob coming, right? So it would be safer if they would leave that very day. So the Cones heard rumors like this before, but this seemed very real. So the Cones decided that they would go flee with their children to her mother's house, Mrs. Cones' parents. Their names were David and Brandel Shankal, where there were less Jewish families and they would be safer. There wasn't any chance of a pogrom there. I guess there was a chance everywhere. They had a 12-year-old daughter. Their 12-year-old daughter, Esther, asked if she could go to her grandparents after she finished her homework. And this should be a lesson to everyone. Never do your homework, okay? That's the lesson. If you got nothing else from this story, that's the true lesson from this story. Esther, 12-year-old, she said, can I finish my homework? And after I finish, I'll go. They didn't think, look, they thought it was a rumor. They weren't positive. They said an extra hour. She was a big girl. She knew how to get there by herself. They said, all right, it's not a problem. So she stayed. 
Less than an hour later, unfortunately, she heard screaming and yelling. She looked outside the window. She saw a mob of hundreds of people all screaming out loud, get the Jews, kill the Jews. She had no idea what to do. Absolutely no idea what to do. She couldn't believe it. She couldn't believe what her eyes were seeing. To remain in place would put her life in danger because she didn't know if they were going to come into the apartment buildings and just ransack everything looking for Jews and drag them out. But to go outside in the mob is going to be even worse. So she was lost, absolutely lost. She began saying to Hillel and she thought of a plan. She was often told that she didn't look very Jewish. She had blonde hair, right? And she had fair figure. A fair figure meaning she looked fair, didn't have a very dark complexion. She looked enough like a German goy to be able to get out of it. And she thought, maybe I'll be able to do it. She was worried, though, right, that she didn't wear her clothing like the Germans wore their clothing. The girls had a certain way of dressing, and the Jewish girls that were living in Germany dressed a different way. And if she went out like a German Jewish girl, she thought she was going to be in trouble. So what did she do? She rust up her hair, rubbed up her hair, she added in a ponytail, she made it look a little bit wilder like they used to wear. And then she took her blouse, she looked at herself, she still saw, she took a little bit, she started unbuttoning the buttons on top, loosening down the collar, untucked her shirt, did a bunch of different things to make it look like she was actually like that. As she was walking out, she put her hand in the mezuzah, kissed the mezuzah, davened a little bit to a Kaddish Baruch that she should be safe. And she's about to walk outside, she gets a bad feeling. And the feeling was something that she heard her mother say many, many times. And you'll forgive me if I... I, I Farstein of Erednisht. I, I can understand Yiddish, but I, unfortunately I don't, I don't speak it well. But... Even within the four walls of your house, even within the four walls of your, four walls of your house, you should feel shame. She remembered her, her mother saying that all the time. So she's 12. She doesn't know what to do. She's standing outside her apartment. She does, has no idea. She said, should she look like them, go out in the streets and hope that she can get away with it and hope that she'll sp- they'll spare her life? Or should she keep her ways and the way she did up until that point when it came to how she wore her clothing, even in this dangerous area, what should she do? She took her doubts as a sign. She tucked in her shirt, buttoned the shirt all the way up, right? And then she went all the way up. She kept her hair out and then she went outside. She kept toward the middle of the street because the people were on the sides of the street, breaking windows, grabbing stuff, looting all the stores, and looking for people, beating people up. But the middle of the street was pretty much open. She went in the middle of the street. She watched crazy people do crazy things. It took her 10 minutes to walk outside where the mob was. And as soon as she made it out of the mob and she saw no one was watching, she ran. She bolted. She got to her grandparents' house. The mother opened up the door. She knocked quickly, opened up the door. She was crying. She told her mother everything that happened. And the mother told her, do you realize, she told her, your action saved your life. She unbuttoned the first button of her blouse. She had a mugging David necklace right underneath. Had she gone outside with that button unbuttoned, they would have seen it, immediately recognized her as a Jew, and that would have been the end. Her willingness to not give up what she stood for, that mindset of what she was, that allowed her to be saved. That's the idea behind it. Esther Cohn survived the war. She became Mrs. Esther Biller of Muncie, New York. She raised a great family, right? This is the person that survived. And again, I'm not getting into this because of the concept of tznias and clothing. I'm getting into it because the mindset of tznias changes a person what it is. And that's the lesson of Rita Miller 
from the Mechnesayim, what we want to learn from the Mechnesayim. The Nitziv says the Mechnesayim was the only one of the big day kahuna that could be worn outside of the base of Mikdash. Think about that for a second. You are not allowed to wear the Choshen, for example, the Aphod, without a very, very good reason. Shemin Atzadik did it, but you can't wear it outside the base of Mikdash. But the Mechnesayim, you could. And the reason why is obvious. You could probably think of it yourself. You couldn't change out of your underwear in the base of Mikdash itself. You had to wear the Mechnesayim out. You could put on another shirt, but the Mechnesayim, it was very difficult to change. Says in Itziv, you couldn't be naked in those chambers that were inside there themselves. Yeah? I thought that there were uh, sleeping quarters in the wall. So there were, but those places, there were Shilas and what the Kedusha was, the way that they were positioned was so that they would be considered like whole as opposed to Kodesh. There were areas that even Shmuel and Avi, but that might have been by, by the Mishkan, where he slept near the base of Mikdash itself. But there were certain chambers, the only places where they were allowed to sleep, had to have the co- concept of hole. Now, in the base of Mikdash, by the second ba- first base of Mikdash, there were, by the big walls outside of the Hechel, there were inside rooms, which it's possible there were people sleeping in. We there's a question within... Right, it's possible that there were certain areas inside there. But it's difficult because when you're dealing with the Kedusha of the Azara, you're not allowed to even sit down, let alone lie down, unless you're a king. So it's difficult to understand, but that's a story for another time. There's a very, very big piece on it based on the Rambam. Yeah, I'm sorry, Shlomo. They had... That's correct. And when there's a reason to do so, they did so, which is why not everyone agrees with the Nitziv. He was allowed to unclothe. He would just have to put on a different shirt and then underneath the shirt, unclothe themselves, etc. They would have to do it. But even that, it's possible that the different mikvos that they had were still considered in an area of hole. They were on the base of Parva, which may have been opened into the Kodesh, but this opening may have been through the hole in order to get out there. So it's a great, it's a great question. It's just there are different ways of learning. The Nitziv says stuff like that. And then he says, this may explain a great Gemara. And I'll tell you, I've had a kasha on this Gemara for years. I had no idea what it was, and this answers it. It says in its if, and Sukkah, Nun Aleph and Aleph, those who know, it's the last parak of Sukkah, right? It talks about the Simchas Beis Shueva, and it says they used the worn-out pants and the worn-out belts. They made wicks out of them for the Simchas Beis Shueva on Sukkot. When they used to, they had to have all these fires going everywhere. So they made wicks out of them, and they put them up there. Tosas their wonders. He says, I don't understand why those two are used. Why the Mechnasayim, and specifically the belts, were used. And now the answer seems obvious, says the Nitzv. It seems to be obvious. The Big Day Kodesh could not be brought down a notch from the Kedusha they were in. They had Kedusha already. They couldn't be brought down just because they were worn out. So since they could only be used in a Kadosh area, their worn out strings could only be used in a Kadosh area. So again, if they were Kadosh, they had to be treated as Kadosh. Therefore, so we say like this, the... Worn out mitznefes, guys, the mitznefes was the hat that he wore on his head. The worn out ksonis, the big shirt that he had. The worn out me'il. All of those could not be used for a lesser kedusha than what they were. Which means, since they were used for the kohanim during the avoda, the only thing you could be used for is another avoda. So they used them to make wicks, but they used them for wicks for the menorah. 
Does everybody see what I'm saying? Because the Ksonis was Kodesh, the Me'il was Kodesh, for example, all the others, when they wore out, you had to use it for something that was unbelievably holy, like the Avoda of the Menorah itself. They couldn't be used for the Simchas Beis Shueva, because the Simchas Beis Shueva was a notch down. It didn't happen in the Azara, it happened outside on Harabayis. So in order to use that, you needed something that was a notch down. It had to be used. In order to use something for it, it had to be something that had no other usage in the Kodesh. So let's understand. The belts were made of shotness. That's a machlokus. But if the belts were made of shotness, you couldn't use them for anything holy. You couldn't use it for the menorah. So you had no choice but to use it for the simchas beis shueva. It's a gemara on Shabbos, you can check it out. But that's that. They could only be used for the simchas beis shueva. The mechnasayim as well. Since they were used outside the beis hamikdash, they were only begged like that. It could be used outside in chol. Therefore, the mechnasayim had the status of chol and their wick could be used for the Simchas Beis HaShueva. That's the reason why. It answers Tosis Kasha. Why use the Mechnasayim in the belt and nothing else? Because the belt couldn't be used for anything else because of shotness. The Mechnasayim could be used elsewhere. So it could be used elsewhere. Everything else had to be used in the Azara itself. Yes. What's up? Use it for something of Kedusha. And Simchas Beis HaShueva is still a mitzvah because it's mentioned throughout the Gemara and Sukkah, so it's still something, so use it for something that's Kadosh, even if you can't use it for anything specifically in the, the, the Azar itself, like for the menorah. I think that's what the Linitziv means by that. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry? It's an interesting call. Could you take it further out to use it for Shabbos candles? Meaning, could you bring it out? I don't think you could bring it out. I don't think you could take the Mechnasayim home. I think you could just bring the Mechnasayim into a chamber near, like, on Harabayas. So I don't know if you could take it mamish home, although the Nitziv does use the word chol. If he says that you can use the Mechnasayim for chol, then likely you use it for Shabbos candles. Maybe Hanukkah licht. Well, he's Hanukkah licht also. That probably could be used as well. Or a Chaim just asked the exact same question that we set up above. You know, the whole question of, wait a second, I don't understand, right, this idea of putting it so far away from the other begadim, why are you separating from them? He says that it's the only one of the begadim that Aaron Akoin wasn't dressed. Does everybody get what I mean by that? Every other piece of clothing, they dressed Aaron Akoin. They put it on the Ksonis. They put on the Me'il. They put on the Ephod. They put everything on him. The, the Mechnasayim was the only one that he put on on his own. Because it would be kind of weird for Moshe Rabbeinu to put the Mechnasayim on Aaron and his sons, as I think we can understand. The Mechnasayim was put on on its own, and therefore it's separated. The first six begadim mentioned was Vilbashtosam. They were dressed in that. But the Mechnasayim was different. That was something that's a little bit different. It was delayed, because Mem is the six pairs of clothing. Mem Aleph is Vilbashtot. You put it on. And then Mem Beis and the Mechnasayim that he actually put on first. Yaakov Kamenetsky wonders if that's true or not. He wonders. He says, is that true? Is it true? Because Moshe Rabbeinu, you'd think, would not have any bad thoughts by dressing Aaron. So could he really not dress Aaron? So he wasn't sure. He wasn't sure whether that's true or not. The Orachim continues, don't think that the Mechnasayim was put on last. And they could, by the way. Because in theory, if the Mechnasayim were just put on last, there was nothing covering the Kohen's feet. In theory, after he had all the clothing on, you could put the Mechnasayim on right afterward and put it underneath the Ksonis. That could have been done. But he says, I'm sorry? It would probably be difficult, though. 
It would probably be difficult, but if Mr. Bean could do it, I'm sure that the Kohen Gadol could do it. I have no doubt. If the Kohen Gadol was able to wash his hands and feet at the exact same time while holding on to his feet, and is also able to do the different things that he's able to do for the, you know, like holding on to the pan while getting into the, etc., I am sure he could Mr. Bean it all the way through and get his Mikhlasayim on afterward. But either way, we don't, because of the Gemara, you, you guys know what I mean by Mr. Bean, right? You ever see that one? You don't know what I'm talking about? Where he's able to take off an undershirt, like while he still has all of his clothes on? It's like, okay, whatever, don't, don't watch it. Anyway, but it's from years, I'm sure they have it somewhere. Yuma Chav Gimel Abay's Darshans on the word Umichnesebad Yuval Bissaro and Bayikwa Tazayin Dalit, that it was the first thing that was put on. So the Rachaim Akhar says, don't say that it's on for last, whatever. It seems like it was the first thing that they put on. You might also say, think that the purpose of the pants was to cover the erva. If they would have been written next to the other Vigadim, you would have thought that the mitzvah, the Hayu Al Aron, would not apply to them, only to the other Vigadim. Maybe they would be a little bit different. For that reason, we write about the Mechnesayim here and put it right next to Bahayu al Aron that they must be on Aron. Yes, they're different from the other clothes because this is Lechasos as the Yet they have the status of those clothes because Bahayu al Aron is written right after it in Pasuk Mem Gimel. That's the idea behind it. Now, as a timeout before we get on to the Mechnesayim, isn't it weird that it calls it Bad? What's the word for linen in Hebrew? What do you use for the word linen in Hebrew? Anybody know? Khan, you know. You do, you know it. It's with a pay. I can give you the word. <laughs> Pishtun, right? That's usually the word, right? Or another word that's used throughout the Torah for linen is sheish. So there's pishtun, there's pishtim with a mem, there's sheish, and then there's bad, michnesei bad. What are the different words? Why are they called different things? It's all the same basic idea of linen slash flax. What in the world is going on here? What's the difference between them? So the Ksavah Kabbalah asks this question. He says, Pishtun is when the plant is attached to the ground. As we say by the Makos, by Barad, Vahapishta Vahasaora Nukasa. The Pishta is the Pishtun. That's when it was attached to the ground. When it's picked and not yet spun not yet spun, then it's called sheish. That's when it's called sheish. If it's smooth, it's similar to a slab of marble. That's when it's called sheish. When it's then spun into strings, the sheish is then called pishtim, with a mem, stringed linen. That's when it's spun already. And that's the idea behind it, seemingly making it plural because there's so many together. And anything woven from those strings is called bad. Does everybody see? The Ksavah Kavallah says it brilliantly. So the end product is called Bad. The strings, when they put it together, is Pishtim. It's Sheish when it's already processed, so to speak, right? And it's Pishtun when it's coming out of the ground itself. That's the idea behind it. Sometimes the clothing made from each one is called by the name of where it comes from. If it's made straight from something, then it might be called Big Day Sheish or Big Day Bad, or Big Day Pishtim, based on where it came from and what process they decided to make it into a piece of clothing. But that's the idea of what each one is. Rav Hirsch, in explaining the purpose of the begotten of all the, coin, the clothing of the coin Gadol, says the word Bad is how linen grows. Linen grows, I, I don't know, the flaxseed? I, I, I looked it up and I'm like, I can't be positive because I didn't look, it, look at it for real. But Flaxseed grows straight stalks going upward. Interestingly, like wheat or barley stalks going straight upward just like that. They each represent a path individually 
finding their way to Shamayim. So to speak, reaching up to the heavens and trying to grab something down and take on that Kedusha from above. Each one on its own. Bad as in Levad. On its own. That's the reason what it's supposed to be. That's why the clothing of the Kohen Gadol and Yom Kippur were solely called by that name. Bad and Apishtan. Even though they mean the same thing. It refers to the purity that the Kohen Gadol had in his act on Yom Kippur of going straight up to the heavens. Bringing himself to the heavens. That's why it's placed directly over the more humry parts of our body. The, obviously, Mechnasayim and the Ksonis were the ones that were there. While the hat sits on top of the head while not surrounding the head. To be able to get you straight up to Shemayim. It's interesting, the Kohen Hedyot's hat. The Kohen Hedyot had like a cone hat. You know what I'm talking Like a cone little thing. Well, the mitznefes was this round, almost like a baker's chef, chef's hat. You know, that thing that went around. The cone hat literally went straight up to Shemayim. It's almost as if it pointed straight up to Shemayim right there. Okay. There's an alshich as well. He says that since this linen, the mitznefes was to milchaper for a rias, stay away from the issues of yichud, for that reason, right, it represented yichud, staying by itself. Stay by yourself and stay away from the uh, people that are around there. Rabbi Yudha Nasi was called the Yid HaKadosh, Rabbi HaKadosh, the Rabbeinu HaKadosh, because he never put his hand near that area of the body. That even when going to the washroom, he would never do it. When Antoninus had a bris mila, he asked Rebbe to look at it to make sure it was done correctly. Antoninus was the emperor at the time, the emperor of Rome. He asked Rebbe to look at it to make sure it was correct. And Rabbi Yudha Nasi told him, I haven't looked at myself how could I possibly look at you? That was the line the Rabbi Noah said. Not only would he not put his hand down there, he wouldn't look. That he kept himself separate from it. And that's the idea behind it. Another lesson is one should think that he's by himself and working on something like the Avoda. So he's not bothered by anything else. You have to keep your mind on exactly what you're doing and nothing else there. So Bad refers to how a person's doing. And the truth is... That's how a person stays away from Arias as well. If you keep your mind on what's important in life and what's the most important thing out there, you will stay away from doing other things that are around you. You'll keep yourself away from the people that you know might bring you down or might take you to a place that wouldn't be the right place to go. That's the concept behind it. The Balaturim says a beautiful shot. Right before I'm going to say, the Tzoramor says, not only was Mechaper for Arias, it was Mechaper, the, the Mechnasayim, for the sin of Adam Arishon, where the Gemara says in Sanhedrin Lama Chasim Abayz, he was Moshech Baorlaso. You hear that? He was Moshech his Orla. It's clearly not a physical thing. It was a spiritual thing. There was Moshech Baorlaso that he became a min, says the Gemara, an apostate, Adam Rishon, as if he didn't believe in God by hiding from God after he had sinned, as if God couldn't see him. That was Moshech Baorlaso. And that's what the Mechnesayim was Mechaper for, because you always know that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is with you. The, uh, the Balaturim says the word erva appears twice in all of Chumash. Over here, and lo sikrevu legalos erva in Parshach Ramos. It's in Paragirchas Pasuk Vav. It's a remez that it's Mechaper for Gilei Reis. So the Atro Zadar says, I don't understand. This idea of it being Mechaper for Gilei Reis is mentioned twice in Shas. It's mentioned in Arochen, Tezayinam Abeis, and it's mentioned in Zvachem, Peichasim Abeis. Both in Zvachim and Arachim, it learns it from the Pusik itself that the Mechnesayim was Machaper for Arayis. You didn't need to learn it from Erva Erva, the fact that it says Erva here, Lachasos the Erva, and over there it says Legalos Erva. It's learned out from the Pusik itself, Lachasos Erva. Clearly it's Machaper for Arayis. So why did the Balaturim feel the need to bring up the only other place where it says Erva? The Atros Adar asks this question, and he gives a brilliant answer. Can I ask you something honestly? I, I don't mean to say this, and I'm not saying anything against the Gemara. Do you honestly believe that a guy's over on Eish Ish, 
and then he gets to put on pants, and he's good? Like, that's it? Does that make any sense at all? Like, it, 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 there's no sense behind any of that. Like, all of a sudden, I just put on a pair of pants. That, that, what does that mean? So there's a kliyakar on this, and I know, and there are some answers to my question. I don't mean to say it in a condescending fashion. But it sounds weird. Right, exactly. That was the point, right? And for so whatever reason. So what's the pshat? There's an unbelievable pshat here. It's possible that the Balatur and the tour, remember, this is the tour. It's not just Stamayid. It's the tour that wrote this, the Balaturim. And he's saying, you're not machaper for ishes ish by wearing mechnasayim. You're not machaper for being together with your mother or your daughter, chas v'shalom, or your sister, chas v'shalom, by wearing the mechnasayim. That's not machaper for that. That's way off. You're machaper for one pasuk. Lo sikrivu legalo serva. Now that pasuk is the answer to every high school kid who asks you, where is Shomer Nagiya written in the Torah? Where does it say that I'm not allowed to touch a girl? Where does it say in the Torah that I'm not allowed to do so? The answer to the question is, lo sikrivu legalo serva. It's kiruv, getting close, the wrong type of kiruv, getting close, legalos erva, to reveal an erva. If you touch a girl in a way that's legalos erva, even if the intention is not to go so far, but it's to do something, then all of a sudden you have the issue of this love, this love. Yes, all the other, when we're talking about ishes, ish, and achos, etc., right, anybody that you're with, that's referring to relations. But this, is another issue, says the tour, according to Atro Sadar, it's possible that what the Balatori means is that this Michnasayim is only Mechaper for Lo Sikrivu Legalos Erva. If a guy touched or came close to an Erva, but actually being together with an Erva, it's not Mechaper. That's not Mechaper. And that's the reason why he says it this way. It's not Mechaper for all Arias, it's Mechaper for this part of Arias. Now, my only problem with this is that the other clothing are machaper for the Averos Mamish. Like, for example, the Choshen Mishpah was for Ivu Sadin, right? The, uh, what's it called? Which one was it? The Ksonis was for murder, if you murdered somebody. So does that also mean it's not machaper for murder, it's machaper for embarrassing someone? Like, is it machaper for the lower level? Because you can't, like, if you're not able to be machaper for Gilead Arias, why are you able to be machaper for Avodah Zara, which is what the Aphod was? Or why have you been for Shrikh's Dhamman? I don't have an answer. Is that what you're going to ask, Sean? Yeah, that, I, I don't know. I don't have an answer for it. But that's what the Atra Zadar suggests. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. So I have two things. One is relating to this. Isn't, isn't it more of a general kapara for the cloud, not the individual kapara for the person? Maybe. Yeah, because obviously the coin guddle is wearing it as opposed to individuals. So But it's a general kapara for this Pusuk, not for all Arias. And the other thing is. Yeah. According to the Balatron. And you're talking about the bris and the eel and all that stuff. So, first off, before Chais, before the original Chais, right, there was no issue with the Erevah. Right. It was all right. the, the bris, if anything, is a Kamash thing, it's a mitzvah. So, so how, do, how, does, how, does that, how do you rectify that with a, with a Moab, his job? I, I, it's too complicated for right now. I can. Do you want me to? Well, I'm saying you're saying that he won't even look at it. Yeah, I, 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 whatever. That's not not for right now. Not for right now. Rabbeinu Akadosh was a tikkun for Adam Rishon. Let's just say it that way. So that makes sense, right? If Adam Rishon was Moshe Paralos, so then Rabbeinu Akadosh, by being that Kadosh, by not looking down, would be a tikkun for that. But that's something for something else, right? It's also because David Melech was also a tikkun for Adam Rishon, right? That's the seventy years that came from Adam Rishon. David Melech's biggest issue was Gilead with Batsheva. 
Right? Even Abigail saw that through the Nuach. Seven years because he was supposed to live a thousand. He lived to nine thirty. So the seven years was given over to other to David Melech. And David Melech was also connected to Rabbi Yudanasi. Obviously, Rabbi Yudanasi comes from. So I, I, there are answers. I'm, I'm there are answers. Saying, it seems that, like, this, this idea as the, the other side, the flip side of this, the, the most kadosh things and the things that you do, you like bringing through and other things, come from this. It's possible. It can't be that it's all. No, but we're concentrating on the kapara part, not uh, on what happened as opposed to what you should do. Right? That's the idea. Behind it. No. 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 I'm answering your question before you ask it. No. Other other begadim have a different issue. Even as it didn't for sure is afterward, right? But uh, all the other begadim have a different issue. Or negative midos. Yeah. Everything's negative. Everything's negative. As is Meitzach. Okay. Then I'm going to ask the final question, and I, 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 this is the question. The Otsar Plus, the Torah mentions that in addition to the ten miracles that happened in the base of Mikdash, there was something else, and this is in Avos Hey Hey. Right, the Rebbeinu B'chayim mentions that it's a pella that the Quantum did not freeze while doing the avoda. It doesn't make any sense that the Quantum didn't freeze. How, it, it, if it's thirty degrees outside in Eretz Yisrael, you've got stone floors. The Quantum are barefoot, and I'm sorry, Mr. Jakubowski. I, I know that this is going to look. It's going to be hard. Is anybody else a coin here? It's a year a coin, aren't you? Yeah. So you guys are going to be walking barefoot. I'm a bechor, so it's possible it's going to go to me also. But I'm barefoot with linen, little breeches. A linen shirt, a belt, and a hat. That's what you're wearing. You're walking around in the basement in freezing cold weather. It could be 30, it could be 20 degrees. There could be a foot of snow on the ground. And you're walking barefoot in linen clothes. You ever wore linen clothes before? I had linen pants once when I was in high school. They were unbelievably good at getting wrinkled. It literally felt like you weren't wearing anything. It would come straight through. Okay, they might not have been on the same level as the, the clothes that they wore in the base of Mikdash. How in the world didn't they freeze? How could it be? How did they not freeze every time they served in the base of Mikdash? Winter near Shalim, everybody knows we get cold. I got pneumonia four times in a row. I've never had pneumonia before. Because it's all stone everything. I could not handle the cold. I was never warm for like full three months. I was never warm. I'm better. I, it's crazy. I take the winter in Chicago better than I can take the winter in Eretz Yisrael because of wood. It's just completely different. I couldn't afford to have anything, you know, anything more than that. I was like super poor. So it was like completely different. Shkolim and Parakeh even mentions there were a bunch of people who were in charge of a bunch of things in the base of Mikdash. One of them was Ben Achia, was on the Chole Me'ayim. Yerushalmi says that they needed a doctor to heal the quantum from stomach ailments because they ate a ton of meat. They only drank water because they couldn't drink wine in the base of Mikdash that would make them drunk, right? And they were in freezing cold weather. The Yushami says it's straight out. They were freezing. Their stomachs were always hurting them. They for sure had, to, they had a ton of phlegm and they were swallowing it. That definitely didn't help them. And listen, a diet of all meat, unless you're Dr. Atkin, nothing works like that. It's almost impossible. Granted, you had a little bit of shawarma, right? Because you made it into little matzahs and you put it together. But that's that. And that's what they were supposed to have. The Kwanim had to have the right amount of wine to heal them. Imagine being healed by wine. That's what Ben Achi used to do. Give them the right amount of wine, what they would need in order to heal them. The Rambam mentioned this as well in the parish of Mishnais. And remember, the Quantum couldn't get drunk. It's not like they could drink liquor to warm themselves up. They couldn't have that. Now, could it be that there were little fires all over the place? Yeah. But have you ever been on a stone cold floor? There's no way those fires are going to be enough. It's cold. It gets really, really cold. And the Rambam Parish Mishnais in that Mishnah in Shkalim says exactly that. They became very weak from the work they had to do in the winter. They weren't able to, they didn't have, they had to have a doctor that was constantly on call taking care of freezing cold Kohanim, right? I, I have no idea how they made it through. It's a miracle. It's mamish a miracle that they were able to make it through. That's what the Rebbeinah B'chaya says. 
the Mincha Salazar, the 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 uh, the Mechaz Lazar says in his Sefer Divrei Torah, Madur Tes O Samache. He says this was. He says obviously it's not one of the ten miracles because it's not mentioned, right? But maybe it's because the Quantum didn't feel cold when they worked there. Maybe that's why. Maybe a Kaddish Baruch Hu wanted them to work even when they were in a little bit of pain, and that's what they had to have. The Munkacharov says maybe that's what it has to be. Perhaps the Quantum, the, the ones that became sick, were only the ones with Gaiva, and everybody else is okay. But he says in the third base of Mikdash, HaKadosh Baruch will make it that no one gets sick and no one feels pain. I don't know. Is it possible that we could use some of the technology that we have today and use, you're already nodding your head, and make heated floors throughout the base of Mikdash? What? And floor heating is already a thing. I know it's a thing. I get it. No, I know we have it. But I'm saying, can we use it in the base of Mikdash underneath the stone floors so that it always was there? I'd love to think that we control the weather by the time Mashiach comes, right? That we control the weather, we don't have anything to worry about and everything's okay. But could it be that there's no... What? The Jews already do that. We control everything except for that. It's mostly Hollywood. So it looks like we're controlling the weather, but we're not. But if we got to that point where all of a sudden we were able to do it, could that be that we're going to use that technology? With the, I certainly hope so. It would be amazing if they were able to do it. By and by Shaney. By, by Shaney. I can't imagine. Can you imagine working in the base of Mikdash on those freezing nights? Yeah. Okay, so wasn't there, weren't they already controlling the I don't know. not make you, I don't know. You can't get cold with the Shrina there? I don't know. I don't know. I have absolutely no idea. I can't tell you. The Rabbeinu Bechaya says no. It was still cold, and they froze. And the Gemara says, clearly, they were cold. <laughs> they were freezing cold. Right, their Shekhinah just went, oh, within 10 Tzvachim. They were warm from their knees and up. Very good, Steve. I like that. They were warm from their knees up, and their feet were freezing. <laughs> that was that. It's such an unbelievable concept. We'll stop with that, guys. Have a great Shabbos.